12. Before I forget to mention it, if you'll uh, pray for me, I'm uh, preaching at a, a winter revival. A church in New Bedford, Massachusetts is having a winter revival and several uh, pastors are preaching at that. I'll be preaching uh, Tuesday night. And uh, this is a church that three years ago, uh, a young man went there to take it. And uh, they are about ready to shut their doors. Uh, there's churches like that all over New England. Uh, it's about ready to shut their doors. Building was getting run down. No finances at all. No new people coming. Uh, they had a building. Uh, good, uh, good opportunity. New Bedford is a struggling town that desperately needs the gospel. And uh, here's a church three years later. They've done renovations in the building. This week they're putting in a new PA system. They're filling the building up, got, got a man in there excited about what God can do, seeing people saved, and uh, they're having a winter revival, so uh, pray for them, uh, and then if you would, anytime I go out and preach, I see it as a partnership with you, it's never just me going doing my thing, it's us, it's me representing the Lord in our church, and us partnering together to go help other people, and so uh, I'll count on your prayers, and I know you do pray for me, and I sure do appreciate that. Luke chapter 12, uh, interesting portion of Scripture. <clears throat> and we'll read just three verses, and we'll read them in unison. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12, and let's look at <clears throat> verses 42 through 44. And we'll read these in unison. Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 44, the Word of God says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. And let's pray. Lord, this powerful uh, teaching here should be one that encourages us and helps us and motivates us to strive to be a good steward. You've been so good to us. Each one of us are stewards, whether we realize it or not. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom, the vision uh, to be faithful stewards, and that we could see all the blessings that you allow to pass through our lives, and that we would steward those properly, and and because we strive to be faithful with those, uh, you fulfill your promises, and give us much more than we could have ever had if we just tried to hoard everything to ourselves. And so I pray you'd speak to our hearts. If there's anyone lost here today, I pray you'd show them their need of Christ. I pray you'd help your people. Uh, to see the need and the promise, promises attached to being good stewards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> of course, every January we spend some time talking about stewardship. We've done that this month. Uh, today I want to preach a, a message entitled, The Promise of Stewardship. The Promise of Stewardship. Uh, see, why should we be concerned with being a good steward. I mean, what's the big deal? Why not just take everything that comes into our lives and run with it? 
Uh, why not take the money and run? Amen. Uh, well, because there's warnings about being a bad steward, but there's promises about being a good steward. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another. So some of you might work a job where you have a company truck or a company car. That's not your car. You can't just go out and do whatever you want with it. It doesn't belong to you. Uh, you're, you're accountable to someone else for it. Uh, some of you have keys to the business or the, the plant or wherever you work. You're trusted to be able to walk in there with no one else around. It's not your building. It's not your your possessions, but you're trusted with it. Some of you have a key to the church, and you come in and you clean or you do ministries. That's a stewardship. We trust you not to come in and graffiti the walls and, and take a knife and tear up the pews and, and all those things and, and go through. I remember years ago, uh, we had a little bit of things were disappearing. And uh, I mean, things like uh, paper towels, things like toilet paper. And they came to me and said, Pastor, what are we going to do? The toilet paper keeps disappearing. I said, apparently they need it worse than we do. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just buy more. That's not, a, that's not an area I want to get involved in. If someone, if someone has that big of a need that they're willing to steal toilet paper from God, then we'll just leave that alone, okay? And, uh, you know, thankfully that was just one case and over many years. But, I mean, some of you are trusted to drive buses and vehicles and vans and transport people and teach classes. And so each one of us, whether we know it or not, are stewards, uh, for example, if you have children, those are not your children to do with what you want. You do not own them. Uh, God is allowing us to rear them, and we're accountable to him for how we're rearing them. Uh, you have a spouse. That spouse doesn't belong to you. They're not a slave. Uh, there's a stewardship there. God gave you someone that uh, said vows that you were going to be together for the rest of your life. That's a stewardship. Uh, all the money that comes through us, all the opportunities that God gives us. And so each one of us in the room uh, is our stewards, whether we realize it or not. And that, that's young and old. The young people say, well, I don't have money. Stewardship's not just about money. It's about a philosophy that says I'm going to understand that God is blessing me in a multitude of different ways. And I want to be a steward of that, not just pretend like or act like. It's all because of me and I can do with whatever I want. Amen. So the two great philosophies, ownership, that's it belongs to me and I'll do what I want with it. Stewardship, that's it belongs to God and he's allowing it to pass through my hands for some greater purpose. Some of that is to care for my family and to take care of, of our needs. And a steward in, in Bible days, they were well cared for. There's blessings to being a steward. However, uh, there's also things passed through our lives that aren't just for us. We're to be conduits, pipelines that are transferring things to others and blessings and, and uh, finances and opportunities and even good words and encouragement. And, and so we are stewards whether we realize it or not. The question is not if you are steward, a steward. The question is what kind of steward do you choose to be? What kind of steward are you? And in the Bible, there's a faithful steward and there's the wicked steward in all the parables that Christ taught us. And one steward uh, was called faithful, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It was a steward. And then uh, thou wicked and slothful servant, so wicked and lazy. Uh, and so each one of us are 
good stewards or were striving to be faithful stewards or were wicked and slothful, we're not paying any attention to that at all. We're doing whatever we want uh, with whatever we got. And uh, that's a, a terrible, terrible way to live. Now, one reason why stewardship is important because a steward always has a master. And you as a steward have a master. Uh, His name is God. Uh, You will give an account one day to God. Uh, Now, if you're not saved, if you've never been born again, if you've never had your sins forgiven through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't know what that means, we'd love to explain it to you. If you're not born again, then one of these days you're going to stand before God and your judgment will be called the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment for your sins. That's not a judgment about whether or not you go to heaven. That decision is made while you're alive. And so God allows you to choose. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe in Christ and accept him as your savior? Or do you reject him and believe something else? And uh, the great question of the age is, what will you do with Jesus? Uh, Some say, well, he's a good man. Well, that ain't good enough. And he was a prophet. Well, that ain't enough to, to forgive your sin. Uh, The Bible's very clear that the way to heaven goes through the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it's through that faith, it's through uh, believing and receiving uh, the gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 12, and John chapter 3 talks about being born again. And so I'm thankful that when I was a 16-year-old boy, I came under conviction and I, I began to, to sense that I was under the burden of my sin, that I wasn't going to go to heaven if something happened to me. I was concerned about that. And that's called conviction. God begins to unsettle you. Something begins to happen in your heart. You become aware that you're not okay with God and that these sins are, are on you and you're going to have to pay for them. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, but the answer for that is not to try to, to run away from it or push it away. The answer is to run towards God. And God has made a way for you to be saved. And, and if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Understanding as a 16-year-old boy, I understood that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay for my sins. And on the cross, he didn't pay for his own sins because he didn't have any. But he paid for all the bad things that I was ever going to do. And all the sins that I was committing. And uh, he paid for those and then he was buried and rose again the third day. And now he ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank God for that. And so as a, as there's got to be a time in your life where you say, listen, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. An amazing miracle happens. God takes away your sins, covers you with His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and you become a son. I'm thankful for that. Uh, But we're sons who were made to serve. Uh, We're not sons who just live in the Heavenly Father's basement and mooch off of Him for the rest of our lives and and, uh, never work and play Xbox all day or PlayStation or whatever. and, And No, no, no. God says, you're my son, but I'm going to put you to work in my field. Uh, by the way, that's a gift. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking this week, so much is, is dependent on perspective, isn't it? I've had people that have wept because no one's ever gave them a chance. They've never gotten a leg up. They've, they've never gotten a break. And then I've had other people who, who weep because, boy, my dad's given me a business or my, my, my parents are rich and they, it's so hard being a, a, a child of a rich person or it's so hard that I've got to take over this business. And 
here's the, these two people want to switch. You know, it's interesting. And so much is based on perspective. That's why we have to look at the, the world and our own lives through the lens of Scripture. And, and somebody, you could be complaining about something over here that someone on the other side of the room would die to be in your position. And vice versa. And so the truth is, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, look to God today and he will lead you and guide you. And that's a wonderful thing. By the way, when, when you choose stewardship as a way to live, it just takes a lot of pressure off. I'm not the master. It's not all up to me. Because once you realize there's a lot of things outside of your control in life, if you're not careful, that'll cause you an awful lot of anxiety, an awful lot of worry. But if you were to realize that there's someone who is in control of all that stuff, and he's your heavenly father, and he's gracious and loving and kind, he loves you so much that he made a way for you to go to heaven with him at great personal cost. Is he not going to take care of the little things of life? And so when we choose the, the path of stewardship, it takes a lot of pressure off. But you're a steward whether you want to be or not. And there's an account that must be given whether you want one or not. See, lost people will give an account for their sin at the great white throne judgment. Saved people will give an account for their service at the judgment seat of Christ. See, if if you're born again, you're not going to be at the great white throne judgment. We might be witnessing that, but we're not going to be involved in it. We're not going to be being judged that day. You and I have something that we'll attend called the judgment seat of Christ. And at that that, judgment, sin is not in question. All of our sin is already under the blood. We're already saved. We're already in heaven. Our eternal destiny has been sealed through faith in Christ. But what that judgment will be about is our service. What kind of steward were you? Were you a good and faithful steward? Were you a wicked and slothful steward? But each one of us will give an account. I think of 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, the words good or bad, they mean acceptable or unacceptable. It's not talking about sin and righteousness. It's talking about did you obey God or did you disobey him? Did you fulfill your, your reason for being here or did you not fulfill your reason? Did you do what you could do or did you not do what you could have done? And God never judges us on what we can't do. He judges us on what opportunities and gifts and abilities we've been given Did we fulfill that? And it's a judgment. Some people look at the judgment seat of Christ as a terrible thing. And I guess it may be for some. But you know, the other side of that is the judgment seat of Christ is a good thing. Because God loves to reward his children. Do you know God would rather reward you than punish you? How many of you had kids and you'd rather reward them than punish them? All of us. Only sadistic parents look at their children and say, oh, I can't wait to punish you today. (laughs) You know, they have the evil laugh. They wake up every morning, the evil laugh rings through the house, and they just can't wait to punish. That's That's not how parents think. 
Some of you are like, if you knew my kids, man, you'd be thinking that way. And <laughs> sometimes it feels that way. Uh, but the truth is, we would much rather reward our children. We'd much rather give them gifts and love on them and dote on them. And God's the same way. Uh, so don't look at the judgment seat of Christ as just this time where, oh, God's going to punish me so bad and he's just looking forward to punishing me. No, God's looking forward to rewarding you. And yes, the, the, the threat of judgment, the, the, the fact of judgment is a warning for those who would disobey. But it's also a promise for those who would obey. And today we're going to focus on the promises of stewardship. There are great blessings for serving God. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, there's great blessings. I know, I know some people are like, well, God's so strict. And God doesn't want me to do anything. And God, God just exists to tell me what I can't do. Oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard. Let me tell you something. It's not hard to, to serve the Heavenly Father. You want to know who's a hard taskmaster? That's the devil. It's hard to serve the devil. The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. And yeah, he might front load it with a little pleasure and just enough pleasure and just enough, uh, just enough freedom to get you to hang yourself. My friend, you get far enough down that road, and I'll tell you, it's a hard path. He's a, he's a mean dude. Well, we have a gracious master, and it's a wonderful thing to serve the Lord. And God is a rewarder. He loves to give blessings to his children. He's a giver and a rewarder. Think about these verses. I'll, I'll quote them to you. Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and don't miss this, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the only way you can please God is through faith, but you've got to believe two things. You've got to believe, first of all, there is a God that he is, and secondly, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's why we believe salvation. Not only is there a God to save us, but we believe he'll keep his promise of saving us if we trust him. We believe he's a rewarder. Well, my friend, if he rewards us with salvation itself, won't he reward us for our service? Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Hey, God's not going to forget what you've done. Uh, maybe nobody else knows about what you do in private. Maybe nobody else knows the, the times you try to be faithful and the struggles you have and the sacrifices you make. This isn't a, a Christianity is not a popularity contest. It's not a reality show. You're not, your face isn't always going to be up in lights. Much of the Christian life is lived in private. Oh, but God is not unrighteous to forget. He remembers. Why? He loves to reward his children. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a great verse. So today we're talking about the promises of stewardship, the, the promise of service. And yes, the, the judgment seat, make no mistake, it ought to warn us. It ought to challenge us and, and at times scare us. But the other side of that is God's going to reward us for our service. And we all strive to be faithful. God sees our service. He records our obedience. 
and he prepares rewards for those who are faithful. What an amazing God. He saved us from a hell that we earned, made us his children, and then he allows us to work in his field. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are labors together with God. God says, I want to work with you. I want to partner with you. And any time you get involved in Christian service, whether it's ministering to a fellow a human or it's doing something, cleaning the church, driving a bus, teaching a class, passing out a track, telling someone about Jesus, going soul winning, going to the nursing home, going to the prison, whatever it is, we are partnering with God. What a privilege that we get to partner with God. But then God rewards those that work with Him. John chapter 4, it's interesting, that story of the woman by the well. And oftentimes people just stop there. But uh, as they come later, she goes to the town and she's bringing a bunch of people to see Jesus. And we pick up the story. I'll quote these to you. John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And I believe at that time, if he, he told him, he pointed him over towards the city, and there was a flock of people coming to meet Jesus who was led by that lady. And he was teaching the disciples, the harvest is now. You don't have to wait for the Christian harvest. You might have to wait for the barley or the wheat or the soybeans or the corn, but you don't have to wait for souls because we live in the harvest field where everywhere around us there are souls needing to be saved and there are some ready to be saved. But then the Lord goes on to say in John chapter 4, verse 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Think about that. God is a giver. He's a rewarder. He loves to reward those that work with him and for him. And we, we say that just by way of introduction for this thought. There are promises with stewardship. Our text verse we read in Luke chapter 12, as we come back to that, this text describes a faithful steward and an unfaithful steward. Now, a week or so ago in our Sunday evening service, we talked about the rest of this parable in a sermon called The Problem of Stewardship, and that's online on the church website. You can listen to that uh, at your leisure. But today we're going to focus on the, the first three verses of the parable where he's talking about the faithful steward. And go ahead and look there at Luke chapter 12 again and verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household and give them their portion of meat in due season. And so I like this. The steward, with stewardship comes leadership. He'll make him ruler over his household. But then with stewardship, God also makes sure that you're cared for. See, stewardship is not taking a vow of poverty and never eating steak again and never enjoying life again and you know just, just giving everything that comes through you. You better walk in your bare feet because... Uh, that, that, that's, not, that's not what God's talking about here. The truth is, the steward in a household was a lofty position. And they lived pretty well. They were cared for. They lived off the master's goods. They had a nice place to live, usually. They ate the best of the food. 
And I, I want to encourage you that when you choose to be a good steward, it's not choosing a life of poverty. It's not choosing that you'll never be blessed and you'll never drive a decent car and you'll never wear nice clothes and you'll never, because these are some things the devil tells us. Well, if I choose to do that, I got to take care of number one because if I don't take care of me, nobody will. No, God takes care of you. And you can spend your whole life trying to take care of yourself. How's that going for you? But whenever you choose to say, Lord, I'm going to choose the path of stewardship. I want to be a faithful steward. Now God says, I'm going to take care of you. Now, he's already taking care of us just as he's a father and a good God. There are levels of care that come with that. But my friend, you could be living off the fatness, the goodness that is the master's as you choose to be a faithful steward. But notice also here in verse 42, we see the two requirements of stewardship, faithful and wise. Faithfulness is requirement in stewardship. Would you want someone to handle your money that wasn't faithful? Would you let someone watch your kids that you couldn't trust? Would you let someone just drive off with your car and you have no idea if they're trustworthy or not? They've wrecked every car they've ever, they've ever driven. And you're like, okay, here, take mine. I'll trust you this time. No, there's, there's a faithfulness required. There's a track record that comes with life. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If one is to be trusted with possessions and people, they need to be trustworthy. And the master should be confident that the steward will, the steward will honor his desires and follow his directions. See, I tell my kids this, and I try to teach them about leadership and fellowship, because when they're out of my house, they're going to work for a boss someday. They're going to they're gonna have, you know... There's this desire for people to say, well, I just don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And you need to get over that now. Because you're never going to have a place in life where nobody tells you what to do. They say, well, I'm going to start my company so I don't have a boss. No, then you have thousands of bosses because the customer's your boss. You say, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do, so I'm going to go join the, the Marines. You say, people don't say that. I've heard it with these two ears right here. I've heard it. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to go join the Marines. And I literally looked at one boy and I said, I thought he was joking. You know, I was waiting for the punchline because I've said this for years that people do this. And I'll never forget he said it. I'm like, wait. And I said, did you hear what you just said? I mean it. I'm tired. I'm going to be my own man. <laughs> it's like... Oh, okay, we'll see how that works out for you, you know, as uh, the first thing they do is bring you in, shave your head, tell you when to eat, sleep, what to wear, what to do. Uh, so there's this desire to get out from under, uh, out from under any type of, of authority. And you need to just settle that. You'll always be under God's authority and you'll always have other people's authority in your life. But if you have a boss, if you have someone that you're working for or someone that you're under their leadership, you not only to do you not only are required to do what they tell you, but learn how they want things done and do that. Learn their preferences and do that. Uh, do you ever have a, a child that they do exactly what you tell them? But nothing more. You can say, pick up that piece of trash, put it in the garbage. 
And they pick it up and put it in the garbage. But there was another piece of trash right next to it. It's like, well, why didn't you pick that one up? Well, you didn't tell me to pick that one up. You were right there. I mean, you literally bent down. You were right there. Well, you didn't tell me to. And, and some people, even adults, we got to get past this thing, uh, not just with people, but I'm talking with God. Being a good steward's not just about, okay, Lord, I'll do the bare minimum. You tell me. If, if, there's, if it says it in a black and white of Scripture, I'll do it, but I won't do a thing more. Well, you know, the Bible's a book of principles. What if God had to tell you to do and not do everything you were ever going to do in your life? And everything everybody else who ever lived was supposed to do and not do. Thinking ahead to everything that will ever be invented or created. You think the Bible's big now? We don't read the Bible we have. What if it was a thousand set, a thousand book set? Now the truth is God gives us principles. And as we're trying to be good stewards, we do what God says. But then we also learn God himself. We learn the principles. We learn wisdom, why he does certain things. And, and once you learn the formula, it's like two plus two equals four. It doesn't matter if it's two apples, two oranges, two cars, two people. The formula is the same. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the mind of God. And you can run anything in the world through that because God never changes. And so it doesn't matter if it's 1900 or 2000, a year 2000 or year 2025. God's the same. And we have wisdom. And so we learn not just to follow the directions of the master, but also to honor his desires. I want to do it his way. I want to please him. I want to do more than obey him. I want to please him. And you know what happens if, if a boss has someone that he can trust, not only just to do what they're supposed to, but to run the place like the boss would if he was there? It's almost impossible not to get promoted. It's almost impossible not to get trusted with more responsibility. Because there's very few people in the world like that. So we see faithfulness is the requirement for stewardship. But then also he says wisdom. A steward must not only be faithful, but he must be knowledgeable and competent. He must have the loyalty to obey and the ability to complete the will of his master. And so we choose wisdom. And we become competent. We ought to be always growing. Be a lifelong learner. Choose to grow. Keep learning the Bible. I mean, Brother Pastor has been saved for 147 years. And he's still, he's still learning the Bible. And I love I listening to him in Sunday school. I love hearing him teach the Bible because he's just still learning. And uh, all of us ought to be that way. And at work, be a learner. Be, be more competent. None of us ever get to the place where it's like, okay, I'm 43. I don't need to learn anything else. No, life's still happening. We have to grow and learn and become more competent. Uh, you say, well, I just, I, I could never win a soul. Well, you could learn. I can't drive a bus. You can learn. I could never teach a Sunday school class. You can learn. Well, I just can't read my Bible. You could. I don't know how to pray. You could learn. And see, we, we need to be, be becoming, be in that process of becoming more competent as we choose wisdom and we strive to be faithful God will continue making us more and more as we grow. And then that opens up new doors of opportunity. 
So let me give you a couple things here, and we'll go to the house. Long introduction, short sermon. Let me give you a couple things here. What, what's the promise of stewardship? Why, sh- why should you even worry about being a good steward? Because number one, there's blessings to being a good steward. Luke 12.43, look at that, we're still in our text here. Luke 12.43, blessed is that servant whom the Lord when he cometh shall find him so doing. Blessed is that servant. God promises blessings to the faithful steward. Now what are blessings? We don't have time to do a Bible study on what God's blessings are, but let me just say they are varied and many. Uh, These blessings include spiritual blessings, physical, financial, emotional, relational benefits, and the list goes on and on. The blessings of God could fall upon any area of your life, and that area of your life gets better. Who doesn't want God's blessings? We could consider the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We could take into account Psalm chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 3, blessed is the man, and it goes on. Uh, The truth is God loves to bless his people. Look at Psalm chapter 3. God loves to bless his people. Psalm chapter 3. You know, some, some people aren't convinced, even some Christians aren't convinced that God loves to bless them. Because you look around your life and you don't see a lot of blessings. The truth is there's many blessings there, we're just not very good at noticing them sometimes. But the, the other thing is, maybe God's got a lot of blessings he wants to give to you, but he can't yet. Because he can't bless the decision you're making. He can't bless a lifestyle you're choosing. He can't bless whatever's going on in your life. And he's saying, look, I've got a truckload of blessings here that I want to give to you, but I can't yet. And that's one reason why we want to be good stewards. We want to be faithful. We want to clean up our lives. We want to surrender to God everything. And God backs up that truck and dumps those blessings on you. And things money can't buy. I mean, you can't go to to CVS and buy health. You can't go to Walmart and buy a good marriage. You can't go to Macy's and buy respect. But the blessings of God are not just financial. They they cover every area of our lives. Look at Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. You see that? God's blessing is upon His people. Look at Psalm chapter 5. And look at verse 12. For thou, Lord, wilt what? Bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him. That means surround him as with a shield. We talked about the the favor of God uh, some weeks ago in a Sunday night message as well. Who doesn't want the favor of God upon your life? The smile of God, the blessing of God. And here it says God will bless the righteous and he'll give them favor and grace and even compass them. It's like having a shield. It's like living in a bubble of God's protection. Who doesn't want that? Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Hey, did God bless you with salvation when you believed in him for salvation? Why not trust him in every area of your life? Well, God, God saved my soul, but he can't help my finances. 
Well, God saved my soul, but he can't help my marriage. God saved my soul, but he can't help my kids. God saved my soul, but he can't get me through this season of life. That just doesn't make any sense. When God saved your soul, he conquered the biggest problem you would ever have. And so blessed are they that trust in him. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And so God loves to bless his people. Would you like more of God's blessings? Then focus on fulfilling the duty of stewardship. And that's a sure way to get more of them. Then next we see not only the the promise of blessing, we see the promise of opportunity. I'll read this verse from our text, Luke 12, 44. says, Of a truth, I say unto you, that he, the master, will make him, the wise, faithful and wise servant, ruler over all that he hath. So this is new opportunities. I'm going to increase your influence. So I, I made you a ruler over little, you were faithful with that. I made you a ruler over a little bit more, you're faithful with that. I made you a ruler over even more, you're faithful with that. Eventually you get to the place where the master is just going to make you a ruler over everything. This happened in the life of Joseph. He proved himself so faithful that the master didn't even know his possessions except for the food that was on the plate in front of him. I mean, he never checked his, his, his uh, checkbook. He never checked his bank balance. He never went out to the field to see what was going on because Joseph was so trustworthy. And see, God is teaching us that whenever you're a faithful steward, I promise you that I will increase your opportunities. The Lord always rewards faithfulness with new prospects. Once we prove we can be trusted, God expands our influence and increases our opportunities. Listen to this verse, Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You say, well, if I ever had enough money, I'd spend it right. Well, if I ever, if I ever had enough friends, I'd be a good friend. If I, if I, ever, if I ever had the opportunity... You'll never get the opportunity unless you're faithful with what you have in front of you. So be faithful with little. And then God trusts with more. The truth goes on that if you're not faithful in something as simple as money, how can you be trusted with the things that really matter? Luke 16, 11 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, God doesn't call money true riches. And we spend our lives seeking after it with everything we've got to the detriment of, of relationships and health. And Money is like a greasy tool. We need it. And the more you have of it, it's awesome. But it's not a God to be worshipped. It's a tool to be used. We see the truth here of opportunity found in the example of Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham to be the patriarch of the new nation of Israel? Well, one verse gives us some insight. Genesis 18, 19, God said about Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Adam that which he has spoken of him. See, God chose Abraham because God said, I know Abraham is going to teach his children, the way of the Lord, and hold them accountable. And today we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, God's looking for trustworthy people. He's looking for faithful people. Do you want to accomplish more? 
Do you want more influence? Do you want to have greater opportunities? Yes, to earn money and yes, to, to influence the world and make your world better and influence eternity. Then we be faithful with what has God given us today. What's the promise? Not only blessings, not only opportunity, but abundance. Look at Luke 19. You want some abundance? Abundance means more, a lot. God gives more to those who prove they are reliable with what they've already been given. And we see our Lord taught a parable about stewardship here that comes to a shocking conclusion. Look at Luke chapter 19 and verse 24. This is the parable of the pounds. And the one man had 10 pounds and uh, one man had the the less pounds. And uh, then uh, the last had a pound, but he hid it. Excuse me, they all were given one pound. One man gained 10 pounds, one man gave five pounds. One man hid his pound and then didn't even get interest. And so this is the reckoning. Remember, every steward has a reckoning. Uh, And so they were each reckoned. God was pleased with those that increased. But the one that didn't increase and that hid his pound, the Lord was, was upset with. And look at verse 24. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. So they come to the place where the one guy that just had one pound, I mean, it's all he had. He didn't invest it. He didn't use it. He hid it. He kept it. And God said, take away from him the little he has and give it to the guy that's got the most. And the crowd was shocked. Lord, he's got enough. Why would you take the little from him that had it and give it to the guy that had the most? And the Lord explains this in verse 26. Let's look at it. For I say unto you that under every, unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away. Now I want you to look at me. This flies in the face of socialism. This rebukes communism. All the crazy isms out there in the world. God honors hard work and personal responsibility. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. What was he saying? I couldn't trust him with the pound I gave him. So I'm going to give it to the guy that proved himself trustworthy. And here's the principle of God. I will give more to faithful stewards. He'll give them abundance. Now in our life, that might be the abundance that passes through us. God allows us to keep some of it. Brother Pash mentioned a, a millionaire Christian in Sunday school, and he, he had given, last time I heard, he'd given away tens of millions of dollars over his life. He started Christian colleges in America and abroad. He supported uh, uh, missionaries by the who knows how many. He would take a church with a faithful pastor, and they were trying to fulfill their commission, but they, they didn't have uh, uh, money for help. He would literally pay people full-time salary to do nothing but go soul winning 40 hours a week. I asked about him recently. He's still alive. 
And they said he's living in a little condo that he still has, but he's given everything else away. Things are tight for him financially now. Truth is, he's probably living a little longer than he thought he would. Well, let me tell you, tens of millions of dollars have passed through his hands. You say, well, he's a pauper. Oh, he's rich. He's still rich. That may not be you and I. But I wonder if God gave us tens of millions of dollars. Man, some of you would be driving Bentleys, living over on Ocean Road. You wouldn't even invite me over for dinner. I mean, you, gotta, you, gotta, you know, I mean, it's wearing $5,000 suits. Eating. I read a story about a guy who ate a $10,000 hamburger just to say he did. That's just ignorant. The issue is not how much money you have or don't have. It's what are you doing with what you have. You say, boy, if I ever had enough money, if you're wasting what God has given you now, why would he give you more? If you're wasting your time now, why, well, if I ever had enough time, I'd, I sure would serve the Lord. But you're watching TV 20 hours a week. Playing games 30 hours a week. We're not thinking straight. This is the whole point of this promise of stewardship. Take whatever God's given you now, whether it be little or whether it be much, and say, God, I want to be faithful and wise with what you've given me. Let me show you the last one. We'll be done because this one's so important. I was going to leave it out. I was just going to stop, but the Lord said, no, give him this last one real quick. Malachi chapter 3, because some of you, this is a game changer. It's a life changer. Malachi chapter 3, the last promise of stewardship is divine protection. How many of you would like some divine protection? See, in, in our world, there's many interests competing for the same resources and responsibilities. A lot of people would like to have your job. A lot of people want your money. A lot of people want the opportunities that you want. And while many are working hard trying to better themselves and improve their situation, some will lie, steal, or even kill to get what they want. Years ago, my wife and I, we had a conversation. She said, what if somebody breaks in our house? I said, we don't have anything. We don't have a safe full of gold. We don't have cash stuffed in the walls of our house. You know, the parsonage stuffed with cash. Mattress, I sleep on $100 bills every night. You break in my house, you're going to find a pile of bills over here and some food in the fridge <laughs> and the cupboard. And if you want my bills, you can have them. I'll leave the door open for you. I'll leave it unlocked. You can just, if it makes you feel better, you can crawl through the window. You know, <laughs> look, I got all pastor's bills. We were joking with my, my family. Uh, I don't have a large inheritance waiting for me when, when my family passed away. We've joked for years that the only thing I'm going to get left and, and is bills. You know, and, and we joke about that. But the truth is, whatever you do have, there are people in this world who would love to come and take it from you. 
And on top of that, the Bible reveals that Satan seeks to hinder your success so he can limit God's glory and punish his people. Satan wants you to be poor. Satan wants you to be sick. Satan wants you to be depressed. He wants you to have nothing. And so while there are worldly forces pushing on you, trying to take what you have and keep you from getting it, there are spiritual satanic forces trying to take from you what God has given you. Wanting to break down the car. Wanting to make the house have more repairs. All these, the Bible calls it the devourer. There's these little things that just keep coming up, costing money here and costing money here and costing money here and costing money here. And one of the things I've learned over the years that if I don't give to God, that doesn't mean I get to keep it. That means the mechanic gets it. Or the plumber gets it. Or somebody else gets it. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and we'll be done here. This verse is specifically talking about tithes and offerings. And verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? Now think about that. Can you rob God? Well, God says you can. He says, yet ye have robbed me. But they say, wherein have we robbed thee? I mean, how do you rob God? And God said, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, ye are cursed with a curse. Why? For ye have robbed me, even the whole nation. Now, we won't go into all this. I've got, I've got notes here. We won't go into all this. The tithe is 10%. The offering is anything over and above the 10% that you give. The tithe is the Lord's, Leviticus 27 says. Leviticus 27.30, the tithe is the Lord's. So here's, here's the way the tithe works. God comes to you and says, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff, and I want you to give me 10% back plus whatever you want. You say, well, that's terrible. So let's do this. If, if I gave you a $100 bill today, I don't have a hundred. Let's say I give you a $20 bill. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to give you this $20 bill, and I want $2 back, and you can keep the rest. How many of you would take that deal? If you don't have your hand up, you got a problem. All right? I'll give you 20, I'll give you 20 bucks, you give me two back. You say, preacher, I'll do that all day long. Of course you would. Who wouldn't do that? I'll give you 100 if you give me 10 back. No, we would all do that. But here's the thing. We feel like God's doing us wrong when he asks for the tithe. And God's like, I'm giving you everything you have. I give you health to work, a mind to think, a heart that works, uh, opportunities and abilities. I give you a job. I give you a house. And God says, for you to acknowledge me as the creator of all and the giver of all that to you, I want you to acknowledge that I didn't have to give you any of it. It's by my grace. You say, well, preacher, I worked for it. Tell that to the people too sick to work. Tell that to the people in the hospital. Tell that to the people laid off that want a job. Why do you have a job? The grace of God. And yes, you work hard, but it's by the grace of God. Our health could be gone tomorrow. And God says, as an acknowledgement that it all belongs to me and I'm giving you these things. 10% still belongs to me. It's mine. And then what happens is that tithe becomes a litmus test for where my affections lie. Matthew says, for where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. 
So what God does is said, I look at your budget to see where what's really important to you. Now, we may not like that, but it's true. And so God says, I require this, but because you haven't given it to me, you're cursed with a curse. I don't know about you, but I don't need a curse. Look at verse 10. You say, preacher, where's all this promise of blessing you're talking about? Where's all this protection? Well, let's keep reading. God warns you first. But then let's look at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse for the New Testament age is the local church. By the way, you don't give to the church, you give through the church. The church, we might have assets on paper as far as the government's concerned, but our church owns nothing. It all belongs to God. So you don't give to the church, we give through the church. But it's the storehouse. It's just the place that holds the, the, the food and the, but before you give it away. It's the place where you hold the, the, uh, the stuff before it's passed out to whoever God wants to have it. All right, so he says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith. So the word prove me is like God saying, I dare you. This is the only time in the Bible where God dares you to do anything. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. You can't outgive the Lord. All right, he says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at this. What's the proof? And see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, wait a minute. Do you see the blessing in that verse? Do you see the opportunity? Do you see the abundance? All the things we talked about. Now, look at this last thing. Verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he, the devourer, shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and of all nations, and all nations shall call you blessed. Now I want you to look at me. There's this thing called the devourer. God calls it a he. Some people believe this is an evil spirit. Either way, God's saying that one of the curses whenever you don't give like you're supposed to is that divine protection is lifted and now the devourer has access to all of your assets. But whenever you obey the Lord and you give when you're a good steward and you say, okay, it was never all mine anyway. Uh, the biggest check I write every month is to Curtis Corner Baptist Church. I don't say that for any other reason than just to say, sometimes it hurts. But it's not mine anyway. It's not mine anyway. And whenever I say, Lord, I believe I can do more with what's left than what I could if I stole from you what was yours. Then God comes along and says, that curtain of divine protection falls. And let me tell you something, that doesn't mean that bad things won't ever happen. That doesn't mean that bills won't pop up and things won't, needs won't come up. But imagine how bad it would be if you didn't have that protection. That curtain falls. I remember one time when I was a young person, uh, our family just started going to church, and, and my family had gotten saved, and the transmission went out in the van. And they were talking, and I heard my mom saying something like, He was right! He was right! I said, Mom, what are you talking about? She said, The preacher's right! 
He said, he told us that if we didn't give to God, we wouldn't get to keep it. And a situation came up where they needed some extra money, so they didn't tithe. And what's funny is the transmission bill was more than they would have given in the first place. Some of you say, preachers, that's just a coincidence. The transmission goes out. It's the transmission. I don't believe that. I have seen God do things. I had a car one time that, that died. I open it up. I'm looking at it. It just stopped. I pull over to the side. I, I check my dipstick, and there's white foaming oil. Any of you men know what that means? Broken head gasket. She done. It's gone. I was in Bible college. I had a friend with me, and there was a, you say, what'd you do? Well, we happened to break down right across the street from a taqueria, a Mexican restaurant. So we said, well, let's go, let's go uh, bear our sorrows in a burrito. And uh, so we went over there and had a burrito, and I came out, and I said, Lord, I need this car. I got to get to work. So we opened the hood, and I had a friend with me. We opened the hood. I put my hand on the engine. I began to pray, oh, God, heal my car. Oh, God, heal my car. And my friend's like, you idiot. You know, cars are going by. I'm sitting there with the hood up. Oh, God, heal my car. And uh, I said, what do you do? You're desperate. I didn't have money to fix it. I didn't have enough money to buy a new car. Well, wouldn't you know it? I'd called people. They said, your head gas is gone. Car will never run right again. I got in my car and turned the key and it started. You better believe it. I drove that thing for another few weeks. And uh, I've seen God do crazy things. I've, I've been in near accidents on the road where it's like, that should have been an accident, but God's protection just stepped in. Uh, I've prayed for computers. We pray for things around the church here. We pray, we've got a computer back there that we've prayed for years that that thing just turns on next time. Patrick and I were talking about it this morning. It's not working right. It's doing weird stuff. We just pray for it. Lord, help the computer turn on again. I think, I think there's an angel with his arms around that computer saying, you know, keeping that thing working. There is a divine protection available, not just on your stuff, but what about your marriage? What about your kids? Every time your kids leave your sight, and I know even you adult parents, you don't, your kids are gone and there's just, you, you're always wondering how they are. You're always wondering if they're okay. Uh, my friend, we need all of God's blessings we can get. And the promise of stewardship is blessings, opportunity, abundance, and protection. So some will just go, go ahead and do what you want. Go ahead and buy that new toy. Go ahead and eat out another time. Go ahead and do whatever you want. But boys, there's some people in here that just says, Lord, I'm just tired of doing it my way. I need some of that stuff you're talking about. I need that blessing. And I'm going to have the faith to say, Lord, all the stuff in my life, tell me what to do with it and I'll do it. God brings a need up. Somebody needs shoes. Take care of that. Somebody needs tires. Take care of that. Some need comes up. Some thought. God might lay something on your heart. God might have you save a little bit more when you don't really need to. Well, maybe he knows a year down the road you're going to have something come up. Maybe God tells you to spend more than's comfortable on something or some need, and you're like, boy, I don't know, but you've got to have that faith. Maybe you're looking at your schedule, and God keeps pushing you. You need to make time for this. You need to, you need to make time for this. And you're like, Lord, I can't. 
look at everything in your life and say, time, talent, treasure, truth, testimony, all of it, Lord, it belongs to you. What do you want me to do with it? And then God will help you. Let's be good stewards. Father, help us as we uh, turn to you. Help us be good stewards. Uh, We sure do ask you to remind us to be faithful. Uh, There's a lot of promises connected with this that are so wonderful. I pray that you'd help us to remember the promises and subdue the flesh. It's so easy, and there's so many things vying for our, our assets. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us be wise so that we can honor you with what you've given us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. The Lord spoke to your heart. You want to be a good steward?